0: Excited about this study that we, we kind of started last week and uh, kind of got into it. And uh, we're going to keep going on for the six week series that we have. We're going to take a look at a bunch of things. Uh, last week, we kind of did the intro, intro to it, and that is uh, being the year 2020, we talked about having good vision because everyone wants 2020 vision. And sometimes in life, uh, you have to put on some glasses so that you could see correctly. And uh, we kind of actually have uh, got ourselves to a point in life to where we expect that. If someone has bad vision or someone, uh, maybe even they don't have good hearing, we expect them, we we anticipate them putting on glasses or or putting on a hearing aid so they can see or hear correctly. That's normal. That's what we expect with people. We think it's abnormal or strange if someone doesn't take an opportunity to fix their vision, right? Uh, because why? because we just expect people to well let 's use common sense and let 's try to fix things, so this series is kind of a, a launch off for this coming year, just really a focus of our church to really help out all of us, myself included to see clearly and to see correctly to see biblically on different areas of our life and different things that we need to be dealing with so so maybe our vision is kind of lacking in our marriage. well, this year as a church we 're going to work on focusing that and and learning what is the correct uh, vision and correct uh, focus and perspective I should have in a marriage. Maybe uh, our vision isn't that great or our, our, our focus isn't that great with raising our kids. And we struggle with child raising. Well, we're going to address that this year as well. Maybe your finances are just totally messed up or screwed up. You say, man, I just, I, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to focus on this and I am going to get those finances right. Well, good. We're going to spend some time uh, biblically looking at dealing with our finances as well. Maybe you struggle with addictive behaviors. Maybe you have a really hard time holding down a job. And every job you've gone to, every boss you've encountered has always been wrong. and You're the only right person. Okay, well maybe we need to, maybe we need to look at that and we'll address that this year as well. And try to get a biblical perspective and a biblical focus on what God has to say about these different things. So. Last week when we, got, uh, we started in the series, we said that growing people change. You remember that? And uh, one of the things I challenged you last week was on the way out the door, you got a business card that had Luke chapter 10, verse 2 on it. And every day this year, I'm challenging you, and we'll continue to challenge you, to pray at 10.02. Pray for what? Pray for laborers. Pray that maybe God would use me to help spread His word and His message And uh, I hope you took those. We're going to hand those cards out. They'll be out there every week, but we'll make a focus on that, you know, every month or so. To just encourage you every day at 10 o'clock to be praying, or 10.02 to be praying. Our school kids uh, have started that this week, and every day in school, they pray for laborers, that God would send forth laborers. I think it's just a wonderful thing to do, and it's a commandment by Jesus that we should be doing it. So today, as we're going to look at uh, uh, part two in our series, we're going to talk about the fact that saved people should serve people, okay? Saved people should serve people. Now, interesting on that, as you notice that those circles out there on the wall out there in the lobby, it doesn't say saved people serve people, because the reality is some saved people don't serve, but they're still saved, right? And it'd be real easy to kind of cross that threshold, and, and there's a lot of Uh, A lot of isms out there, a lot of beliefs out there that say, well, if you're not a serving person, then you're probably not saved because they'll say saved people do serve. Uh, The main uh, theology of that, as you've ever heard, is called Calvinism. Okay, Someone who's a Calvinist, or if you go to a church that says that they're reformed, the word reform means to change. So it's a changed theology or it's a Calvinistic theology. They will teach that, well, if you're not serving Jesus, you're not saved because saved people always serve Jesus. Let me just see you raise your hands real quick. Raise your hands real quick. Has there been a time in your life, has there been a time in your life when you could have served Jesus but you didn't serve Jesus? Raise your hand. Oh, man. We've got a room full of unsaved people here today. We've got... <laughs> including the preacher, right? So we know that theology is not correct, because there's just times in your life that, that you just make a wrong choice, or you're lazy, you're tired, or whatever, and you don't take advantage of an opportunity that you could have taken an advantage in. So what we'll talk about today, and what we're going to focus on today, is that saved people really should be serving. And this is expected. This is not unexpected. expected. It it's really should be normal for a Christian. Christians should be people that serve, other people. <coughs> excuse excuse me. And I know that we say, Boy, Pastor, that just sounds so easy. We know that. You know, there's plenty of places to serve. You can serve, you know, your church, you can serve your neighbor next door, you can be a servant at work, you can be a servant at the gym. There's a lot of people and places that you could just serve at absolutely, totally fine. But but what I thought we'd focus on today is why don't we serve sometimes? Now I'd asked to raise a hand a few minutes ago about has there ever been a time that you didn't serve? Ever been a time that you didn't serve, and all of you raised your hand? So I kind of think, and I was thinking, well, why don't we serve? Well, What is a hindrance to us rolling up our sleeves and getting involved with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, it doesn't have to mean that you're a full-time Christian servant. It doesn't have to mean that you're a missionary in Africa. It doesn't have to mean that you're a pastor or a pastor's wife. It just means, why is it that sometimes... We have an opportunity to do something for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we don't. What are some of those hindrances that we have that keep us from doing just the right thing? And, and, and what is it that, that keeps us from, from being involved or helping someone or, or keeps us from handing out a track? And, and why are those things, and what are those things that we do? Now, I think the first thing we kind of get started in this. I think the first hindrance, well, not the first one, but let me just make this, this big statement. The first observation about things that keep us from serving. Most of the time, church, most of the time the things that keep us from serving are not physical things most of the time. Now, there are times. There are times that you don't serve because of physical things. Uh, maybe uh, your health is bad or something. Uh, maybe the weather. You couldn't make it to church because there's, there's 12 inches of snow out there in your driveway. I don't know. There could be some physical reasons that, that you don't serve. But what I found in in my years of being in the ministry is that usually the reasons that we don't serve, the biggest hindrances to us not serving, the biggest hindrances are where? They're found right here, okay? They're not physical hindrances, they're mental hindrances. They're mental roadblocks that we have that keep us from doing the right things. And, And there's these unnecessary mental hindrances that we run into, that, that keep us from doing absolutely positively uh, the right thing. I had a, a, a guy that uh, I'd, I'd known was telling me that he went to visit a friend of his. It was the guy's about in his 40s, and he went and sat on the front porch there down in South Carolina, I believe it was. And he said he got there and sat in the porch with those guys in his 40s, and the guy in his 40s started talking about how he used to be involved in church. He said, you know, you wouldn't believe. I used to be the captain of the bus ministry." You know, back in the days when they had big bus ministries. You know, and I used to do this. And, I, and he, he just went on and on and on about how I used to be in charge of a bus ministry. And then he said, you know what? I used to teach Sunday school class. And i teach, teach, teach it to the junior high, and i teach it high school, and i teach it to the elementary kids. And I used to be so involved. Matter of fact, he said, I used to be a deacon of the church, and I used to just do what deacons do. They just deke, and I did all that kind of stuff. And, and he just kind of said, this is what I... And, and, and the guy that was sitting with him said... You used to do an awful lot of things, and you're only in your 40s. It's not like he was in his 90s. Why aren't you doing it today? I mean, what changed? There was a time in your life that, that, that you were soul winning. There was a time in your life that you were serving. There was a time in your life that you were working with other people, investing in other people. What got in the way to keep you from doing it today? What's the hindrance? What's the challenge that you ran into that keeps you from doing what you're supposed to be doing today? What, what is it that stopped you from doing it? Take your Bible. Let's take a look at some of these things. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 20. When we're done with this series, we're going to hop back into our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. So we're going to sneak ahead here to Acts chapter 20. Look at verse 17. You've got your Bible. If not, inside your program is a verse sheet. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll put the verses up on the screen, too. There's a guy whose name is Paul. Paul. And Paul is in this story, and Paul is talking. Whoops, is that my microphone? That's not my microphone. All right, good. Paul is talking to uh, the bunch of the churches there in Acts chapter twenty. Look at, uh, follow along with me as I read in verse seventeen. It says this: "And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus. So these are the, the town here, and called the elders of the church. So this guy sends out, says, hey, listen, uh, pastors of the churches, we need to have a little talk.'" Verse 18, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you all all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Look at verse 20. And, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Look at verse 21 testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ verse 22 and now behold i go bound in the spirit into jerusalem not knowing the things that there not knowing the things that shall befall me there so again get kind of the idea here of what he's doing he's called the pastor the elders of the church together And he's kind of giving them a farewell speech. When we get into chapter 20 of Acts, you'll get more of the story. But the idea is he's kind of giving this farewell speech. He says, listen, I'm going to continue. I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to be doing. But what he says here in this passage is very interesting. He says, I don't know. I I don't know what's going to befall me. In other words, I have no idea what's right around the corner for me. I I just don't have an idea. Look at verse 23. He says, save that the Holy Ghost witnessed in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I, uh, count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So, so, so Paul is here, he's, he's taking away every excuse that would keep him from serving. All right? And he's going to write these things out. He's told the, the, the pastors of the church, the elders of the church, these are the things, you know, there's a lot of things that could keep me from serving, but nothing's going to stand in my way of doing what I should be doing. And what he's going to note here really are the ways that he could think. All right? Now remember I said at the beginning of our talk today, it's usually the hindrances we have aren't physical hindrances. They're, they're mental hindrances. Your job A lot of times, people would succeed more at their job if it wasn't for the mental roadblocks that we have to go over. A lot of times, people would succeed at their marriage. There's no physical hindrances in their marriage. The hindrances of their marriage are right here in their mind. A lot of times, people would succeed even at sports. A lot of people that are really good athletes, they're physically good athletes. But they don't become good athletes because of the battles that they fight in their mind. And, and I know that we could do better at succeeding at work or a job or in our marriage if we would learn to overcome these mental hindrances that, that Satan wants to put in our life. And you say, well, Pastor, you know what? I'm always discouraged. And, and at work, I'm always discouraged. Well, think for a second. If you've ever been discouraged at work, what was it that discouraged you at work? Was it a physical thing? Or was it a mental thing that discouraged you at work? Usually, usually we say, oh, I'm just so discouraged at work. You know, the laser printer jammed. And, and I'm going to quit my job because the laser printer jammed. Usually, that's not why people quit their job. You know? <laughs> that's usually not. It's usually, well, my boss said this, or I think my boss that, or my coworkers are thinking this, or I think my coworkers that, or, or I feel. And it's usually not a physical thing. It's usually a mental hindrance, something that a mind game that we've got going in our mind that usually really keeps us from being that what what God wants us to be. Go back to verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit of Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. So I I know I'm in the will of God. He says this, I go bound in the spirit in Jerusalem. So so I I feel led of God. I'm supposed to be doing these things. But I don't have any idea what's going to happen. Church, just pause for a second before we get into these three things that keep us from doing what we should be doing. Have you honestly ever been in a place in your life where you honestly, I mean honestly, you really don't know what's around the next corner? Now maybe for some of you, maybe that's a health thing. There's a health scare or there's a health issue and, and you go to the doctor's office and you're going, well, I, I'm hoping or boy, I'm praying or I think, but you just don't know. I mean, is that test going to come back positive or negative or too high or too low or something like that? And you're just going, I just don't know. Or, or, or you, you lose your job because of the economy or, or, or whatever. You lose your job and you say, I, I really, honestly, I, I have no idea what my next job is going to be. I just, I really don't. I mean, maybe sometimes you have a clue, but have you ever been in a place in your life where you just, I mean, honestly, I, I really don't know what's coming up next. Well, Paul's saying this. He so said, listen, I, I really don't, I have no clue. I, I know I'm supposed to go this way. I'm supposed to go on these mission trips. I know that, but I got no clue. Now think about that, church. I, I got no clue who's going to fund this thing. I got no clue how long I'm going to be gone. I got no clue exactly where I'm going. I don't know who I'm going to meet. Matter of fact, I may go out on a mission trip and and I may just die and never come back. Because I just don't know. Are people even going to be looking for me? they Are going to be listening to me? People want to hear the gospel? He's he's just like, I just don't know. All I know is I'm supposed to do this thing. You ever had a time in your life when you're like that where you just said, I just don't know how I'm going to get there. But I know God told me to do this. Do you ever have a time like that? I've had that in my life. It just... God, I don't know how I'm supposed to get from here to there. All I know, God, is that I'm supposed to go over there. I, I, just, I know we're supposed to do it, but I ain't got a clue. I just don't know. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I don't got a clue how this is going to happen. I just know it's supposed to happen. So here's the first thing I want you to write down here. First hindrance that we'll have to serving God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind. First hindrance that we could have is the reason we don't serve is because of fear of the future. And I think Paul had a legitimate concern here. He could have feared the future. But I think the reality is this, guys, is, is we've got to be careful about letting the future keep us from doing something bold for Jesus Christ or, or doing something that's the unknown. Well, what if I hand out this gospel track, what if, to my boss, and he hates me and he fires me for handing out this gospel track? Okay, well, what if he does? I mean, you know, is that going to keep me from handing out a gospel track? Is that going to keep me from witnessing to my boss or, 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 or taking a stand? What if you know, all my coworkers? you know, we're at the convention and we're at the meeting and we're out, you know, at the, at the, at the show and, and after the convention's over, everyone goes back to the hotel and all the guys, you know, all the guys go to that place. That's where all the guys just go from like all the salesmen go there and all the, you know, whatever. And they all go over there. What? What, what if I say no? But What, what if I don't go? What, what if I just say, I'm going to stay back in the hotel and, and call my wife? <laughs> or just get a good night's sleep. But what, what, what's the boss going to say if I don't go to, you know what I'm talking about, right? If I don't go there, what, what's going to happen? What, what's it going to look like? What's it going to be like if, 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 if all my boss and, and all my coworkers are together and they're all drinking and I just sit there and I just order a Pepsi? What, what's, what's going to happen? I mean, what? You ever been in a spot like that? You ever been kind of nervous about that? And Paul says, listen, <laughs> I'm not going to let the future keep me from doing what I'm supposed to be doing. To have a fear of the future sometimes is, is, is really just lacking trust in God. Like, God, do you know my ways? God, do you know who I am? God, do you know what I'm up against? God, do you know the temptation that's in front of me? And you really start to doubt, really, can God be a part of this? Can God be aware of this? And, and, and the unknown, the future, can shut us down. It can get us out of our comfort zone. I remember, it was just, guys, it's hard to believe, it was just a year and a half ago we finished this building, right? Doesn't it kind of almost seem like we've been here for like 10 years, like we're so settled in now? This building has kind of now become our comfort zone. We're comfortable with this building now. But it was only two years ago, it was only two years ago that this week we were freezing with 20 below zero temperatures trying to get this building up to a temperature that they could pour concrete in this building. And it had to be up to 60 degrees, and it was 20 degrees below zero outside, and we had plastic bags and plastic tarps covering the windows, and and we were just freezing. That was out of your preacher's comfort zone, all right? This whole building project was out of my comfort zone. I was in construction for a lot of years. I built 10 church buildings. I've been hired as a carpenter 10 times to build church buildings. This was number 11. The difference with this building and the last 10 that I built was this one has my name on the mortgage. <laughs> the other ones, it wasn't my problem. We're going to get this done and I'm going to leave and that's your problem. But this one was became my problem. This was way out of my comfort zone. How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to build it? What are you going to do when the temperature gets 20 below zero and you've got to pour you know, 100,000 dollars worth of concrete? And if you pour $100,000 worth of concrete, it all breaks up and shatters, out, shatters like a piece of glass because it's too cold. Who's paying the $100,000 to pour new concrete? You know, those kind of questions, you know, that I had to live with. Well, this was way out of my comfort zone, way out of my comfort zone. But church, let me ask you a question. If we all, if we all, as a church, were afraid of the future, you know what? We never would have built this building. We we'd still be either at the, 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 the school we were renting or we'd be back at the hotel over there by the machine shed, right? But it was so safe and so comfortable at the hotel. It was. It was after we were there for a year. But the first week we were there, the hotel wasn't comfortable for me either. That scared me to death. What in the world are we doing at this hotel? Who's paying for this? How are we going to do you know, is anybody going to show up for church? What happens? You know, How are we going to do this whole thing? But sometimes, guys, we just can't let the fear of the future keep us from doing what God's called us to do. We say, you know what, I don't know what the future is. It's out of my comfort zone, but I'm still going to do it. And and Paul said, listen, I'm just going. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the plans. I don't know how it's going to be paid for. I don't have the itinerary, but I'm going to do it. And, And notice what Paul doesn't say here. Paul doesn't ever say he's afraid, nor does Paul ever say he's even concerned. Do you notice that in the passage? He doesn't say, I'm sitting here and I'm biting my fingernails. Or he doesn't say, I'm sitting here and my blood pressure's gone through the roof because of this thing. He doesn't say, I'm sitting here and I've got so much anxiety, I've got to start taking meds for it. He doesn't say that. He says, the future is unknown, but I sure do know that God holds my steps. God is in charge of my future, and I'm not going to let it discourage me. I don't know it, but, but I'm not going to let it discourage you. Church, have you ever had a time, really, that, 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 that the fear of the future has just discouraged you from doing something? Usually we're afraid of the future. Here's why. Because we're afraid of failing, Uh, if I were to see you raise a hands, but don't raise your hand, how many of you like to fail at something? (laughs) No one likes to fail at anything. No one wants to be a failure. Well, I can't wait. You know, when I get 40 years old, I'm going to put on my resume. I'm a failure. (laughs) You you don't want to put that on there. You want to tell about all the successful stuff you've done. No one wants to be a failure. But church, sometimes, listen, sometimes God allows us to fail so that he'll stretch us and make us the person that we need to be. Sometimes it's just okay to fall flat on your face and say, well, I tried, and I failed, and I had to eat a little humble pie. It was embarrassing, but God, you used that opportunity to stretch me. I, I think about when I was in junior high, actually sixth grade, the Christian school that I'd gone to, uh, Quentin Roads Christian School, I, I'd been homeschooled, I went to public school, I did. I was like a mutt. I did like, every kind of schooling you could do until we finally found this good Christian school to go to. And 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 we would have, to, every four weeks, every four weeks in our Christian school, we had to give an oral report. We had to get up in front of everybody in the school, and we had to give a report. We had to come up with a subject, we had to, you know, do our 3 by 5 cards, we had to make a poster board, you know, this was before the days of PowerPoint, you actually had to get cardboard and, you know, tape stuff on it and glue it and and make it look good, and you had to give a five-minute oral report every four weeks in the school that I grew up in. That was really tough. Here's the bad side of what they did. The bad side of this is they never taught a class on speech. (laughs) They didn't. They just said, okay, you're going to get up every four weeks, and you're going to give an oral report from the whole school on whatever subject you pick. You know, well, after a couple years, you're just picking all these wacko subjects. I mean, it's just you know, well, let's see, we're already talked about Abraham Lincoln. You know, you're just, you're just picking this most bizarre thing you could possibly pick because everyone's school has already talked about the obvious things. You know, Ford, you know, the president, you know, all that kind of stuff like that. And so you'd be picking all these weird subjects. But, but a lot of times when I did that, I, I, I hated public speaking. I got so bad, I'll just tell you, this is, this is the truth, so bad, so worked up about public speaking, I would literally get sick to my stomach before I had to get up and give a pre- presentation. I was so nervous. I was just dying. One time I went to, went to my pastor, which is Pastor Scudder, and I, he had asked me to speak in front of a youth thing. And I was in high school, and I just said, Pastor, thank you, but I can't do it. I, I, I am sick to my stomach about this. And he just looked at me and was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? And he just said, uh, you'll, you'll never be a preacher. <laughs> yeah, I know, and here I am, you know? What that allowed me to do, though, what that allowed me to do is the fact that I took advantage of an opportunity and I was afraid of the future. Yeah, I failed a lot and I fell on my face a lot and, and I, I, I couldn't imagine if we had to hear those speaking or those, those messages, I'd just die of embarrassment. I mean, just, they're, I'm sure they're just terrible. But that, that allowed God to stretch me and, and get me comfortable and, and allow me to, to learn how to communicate somewhat. I mean, you're here today, right? But, but it allowed me to get over that to where it's just hard to believe, but now I actually make a living communicating to people. You know. And say, but there was a time when I would get sick literally in my stomach doing it. Well, the fear of the future sometimes is silly because maybe God put that opportunity in front of you and he's going to let you fail. Due to no, no fault of your own, but it's just going to be an embarrassing situation you're going to fall on your face. But he's going to use that to stretch you and say, you know what, this is the person, this is the man, this is the woman, this is the husband, this is the wife that I need you to be, and I'm going to l- let, let you do that. And I look back at all the times I've had a chance to speak in public. The, uh, the largest group, uh, this is for trivia, the largest group that I ever spoke in front of, I've spoken in front of 40,000 people at one time in a stadium uh, in India, and I got to give the gospel to 40,000 people at one time and, and somehow I got through that. I see pictures back of that, and I was like, man, I, I just can't believe I just wasn't puking my guts out the whole time either. that. But, but, but you know what? Maybe God's going to stretch you, and the fear of the future just is something that you just got to say, you know what? I'm not going to let that hold me back. How about this? Number two. Number two, a reason that, that we may be hindered from serving is the trouble in the present may detour us or may distract us. Acts chapter 20, verse 23. Say that the Holy Ghost witness in every city saying that bonds... And afflictions abide me. So, so get that. Underline those words there. Paul's saying, listen, there is present problems. There's present trouble that could sidetrack me. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. But none of these things move me. Okay? I, I've got afflictions. I've got, I got people trying to kill me. Okay? They're trying to put me in jail. They'd be happy to chop my head off you know, they'd be happy to throw me in jail. They'd be happy to beat me up. They'd be happy to do all these things. They'd be happy to stone me. But get what, look what he says in verse 24. But none of these things move me. They, they just don't. N- none of these things move me. Why? Because I know this is something that God wants me to do. So, Pastor, what if there's a problem? Okay, listen. This is going to help you out in your Christian life and, 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 and everything you do. The question you need to answer for yourself is this, not what if there's a problem, it's when is there going to be a problem. Because last time I checked, church, none of us are exempt from problems. Can I get an amen on that? You, you're not exempt from problems. There will always be problems. The key to a problem is how do you react to the problem when you get the problem? Because you're going to have a problem. It's just, it's just the reality of the way it's going to be. It's not if there's going to be trouble. The answer is when there's going to be trouble. There's always going to be trouble. Well, Pastor, if I, if I taught a Sunday school class, you know, what, what if it just got too hard? What if the kids didn't show up? What if the kids laughed at me? What if the kids threw spitballs? What, what if the kids brought duct tape and they duct taped me to the chair? I'd tell you exactly what would happen. We'd all come in there, we'd take pictures, we'd laugh. That's exactly what would happen. We'd just sit there and look at that. That kid got, you know, got a teacher got duct taped in the chair. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me. Now, church, when you have trouble in your marriage, when you have trouble with your finances, when you have trouble at work, how do you react, honestly? How do you react? Oh, I just can't take it anymore. I know. I need some more medication to get through the day. <laughs> you know? I, I deal with it like this. 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 <laughs> Wait a second. How do you react? What, what did Paul say? They're trying to kill me and put me in jail and beat me up and, and kill me with rocks. But none of these things, none of these things are going to keep me from serving and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. There's trouble, yeah, but nothing is going to keep me from doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's just, it's just the way it is. There's going to be trouble. And, and I'm not moved by it. I'm not going to be frustrated by it. I'm going to stick and do what I'm supposed to be doing. Let me say something on this, and we're going to keep moving on this, but let me just, let me just touch on this real quick. Just so, just so we're all clear on this. In the Christian life, everybody hear me on this? In the Christian life, there will very clearly be trouble, and, and I want you to understand this. Sometimes good-intentioned, well-meaning people think that, well, you're a Christian, everything ought to just go smooth. Because because God's in charge of everything, right? And God's fair, right? And somewhere, I don't remember what verse it was, God promised our life would be a rose garden. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. I don't know where it's at. But but everything in the, and if it's not going smooth, then you're probably out of the will of God. Okay, that's about the farthest thing from the truth I think I've ever heard, all right? Uh, When we were building this building, getting ready to build this building, someone, and they were very well-intentioned, and they were good people, said to me, said, well, you know what, you'll know that building. Now, now think about this, okay? Now think, think. All right. We're sitting on a $5 million building. Okay, All right. We're already writing the check. And someone says to me this, well, well you'll, know. You'll, you'll know if it's God's will if everything goes smoothly. <laughs> oh, that's nice. So, so, so what if it's not God's will? Who's paying for this? <laughs> you know, you know, if everything goes smoothly, two years ago this week, it was 20 below zero, and we were paying $1,000 a day to heat a day, to heat this building so we could pour contract, uh, pour, pour concrete, okay, per our contract, all right? Let me just tell you, two years ago, things were not going smoothly here. It was a real struggle, okay? Could you imagine writing a check for $1,000 a day, okay? Could you, can, can you do that? No, I don't think anybody here can do that. I surely can't do that. But things weren't going smoothly. And you got well, you'll know it's God's will if everything goes smoothly. Wait a second. Where is that in the Bible, church? Where is it? There's nowhere in the Bible. Things don't always go smoothly. Jesus Christ started his ministry. He got baptized. Now imagine if that person came to Jesus. Well, Jesus, you'll know you're in the Father's will if everything goes smoothly, okay, in your Christian walk. right? Things will just, wink, wink, they'll just fall together. They'll come together. Everything will be okay. Church, do you know what happened right after Jesus got baptized, right after he started his ministry? What happened? He went out where? To the wilderness to do what? To fast and to pray, Who showed up in the wilderness while he was fasting and praying? Not a demon. The devil himself. Lucifer himself showed up. Well, Jesus, you'll know you're in the Father's will if everything just goes well. If everything just goes smooth. (laughs) I just went out to the wilderness to fast and to pray and to get closer with my Heavenly Father. And who shows up to tempt me with what? With food. Things weren't going smoothly. They don't ever have that in your mindset. Well, the disciples get out in a boat with Jesus. What happens? A storm comes. Jesus, just about at the height of his, his ministry, and who dies? His best friend. The people are all together in church and they're all hungry. And guess what? The disciples forgot to go to Costco and buy food. And they're all starving 20,000 people. Paul's thrown in prison. Paul's shipwreck. Jesus' best friend denies him at his trial. Not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus, after he dies, doesn't have his own tomb to even be buried in. Strangers have to bury him. John the Baptist has his head cut off. (laughs) The church in Acts gets all excited about the gospel, and what do they do? They send out an evangelist, his name's Stephen. What happens on Stephen's first day out soul winning? They pick up rocks and they kill him right there in the middle of the street. Okay, things aren't going too smoothly, church. (laughs) Paul said, listen, when there's trouble... None of, it's going to, none of it's going to distract for what I'm supposed to be doing. It None of it, he says, is going to move me. Money problems are not going to move me. My relatives' complaining is not going to move me. All right? It's just, it's just not that. Oh, what if my grandma, what if auntie, what if cousin, they complain, you know, rah, 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 you, know you go to that church. Rah. It's not going to move me. It's not going to change me. It's just not. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. Third one. Third one. Don't let selfishness of my heart derail me. Don't let the selfishness of my heart derail me. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me. Now look at the next phrase. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. So, so I am not going to let my selfish desires keep me from serving God. Church, it is very easy nowadays in this extremely narcissistic society... Extremely narcissistic society that we have such a high view of ourselves that we think we're too cool or we're too good or we're too privileged or we're too white or we're too whatever to serve. I'm so busy with me and my family that I don't have the time for someone else. I'm so busy living the American dream and making sure that I just look good on Facebook. There is no way I'm going to roll up my sleeves and help at a foster Christmas party or, or help with school kids or, or help, you know, serve somewhere or help down at the mission down in Milwaukee. There's no way because, because you don't understand. I have got this agenda of myself that I have got to take care of. I'm so busy I can't help anybody else. It's just a sad state of affairs to be in. I, I'll tell you this, the most exciting kids that I know The most exciting kids that I know are the kids, the young people, that are sold out for Jesus Christ and and are willing and ready, literally, to change the world for the gospel. They're really uh, ready and willing to say, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything. The young people whose hands are like this, saying, point me in the direction I want to serve God. To me, that is the most exciting people in the entire face of this earth. It's the kids and the young people that say, I don't have time, I don't have desire, I'm too busy to really get involved and serve God. I've got my hands clenched on what I want to do. That to me is the most boring, selfish, self-centered generation, I think, on the face of the earth. Christians, saved people should be serving people. And that means having an attitude like this, that, God, I'll go whatever, I'll do whatever. I, I, I want to be involved however I can. I, I want to serve. Well, Pastor, I need family time. I'll tell you exactly what my mom did with that one. Because people, well, we need family time. My mom made it this in our family. Our family time is serving God together. We do that as a family. Parents, I'm going to give you a real quick parenting thing. This isn't a parenting seminar, but I'm going to help you out. No charge for this, all right? Family time is not sitting in front of the television with Netflix playing. It's not. Because in an average TV show, you may talk two or three minutes. That's not family time. You know what that is? That's selfish time. It is. That's not family time. That's selfish time. We live in a society today that there's a cult of the family. There is a cult of the family. Christians, our family time ought to be serving God together. that's, That's what family time is. We serve God together. That's our family time. All right. That's what we do. Oh, I'm going to sit there and watch television. I'm going to sit and watch a movie. That's selfish time. <laughs> I love how Paul kind of has. Just look at that passage. Kind of has this attitude. God, what do you want me to do? No one else in the history of of, of society, in the history of, of the world, outside of Jesus Christ, has had such a big impact on the world outside of the Apostle Paul. And his attitude was not, "I'm selfish," or "I'm going to do what I want to do," or "I want to live." You know, the, the Israeli dream. No, he says, "I want to serve, and I want to. I want to do whatever it takes to further the kingdom of God." So, so, don't ever let your selfishness, don't ever let that kind of thing ever ever keep you from serving God. You know, as a pastor, like I said, I've been in the ministry a long time. I, I've seen, here's the deal. I've had a front row seat, okay? I, unfortunately, it goes with the territory. I've had a front row seat to, to people that are selfish and to young people that live a life of resistance towards the thing of God, okay? I, I have seen more on my side of the desk that, you know, in, in a month, <laughs> in a week, than you may ever see in your life. Why? Because I'm not in the back row. I'm on the front row of people's lives, okay? I've seen more. I've heard more than some of you could ever imagine. Most of it, I'll, you know, I take to my grave. I can never tell you what I've seen or heard. But I've seen what's happened to people that are selfish and people that are resistant to wanting to do the things of the Christ. They're wanting to be sold out for Jesus. A pastor friend of mine was telling me this, that he had a, talking about this subject, and he said he had a guy, a young guy, who uh, was going to raise his kids in the church and send his kids to a Christian school. And the mother said, don't do that. No, don't do that. Don't, don't send your kids to a Christian school. I said, really? I said, no. Don't, don't, that church is too narrow-minded. It was a good Christian church. It was, it was a good Christian church. Don't do that. They're too narrow-minded. This is what she said. This is what she said. She said, if you send those kids to that Christian school, they'll never go to prom. Church, pause, pause, pause on that stuff for a second. If the biggest thing in raising your kids, if the biggest thing to you in raising your kids is sending your kids to prom... You need serious help. All right, okay. There, there, are some real issues right there. If that's the biggest thing, fast forward the clock a few years. Every single one of those kids—I think it was four kids—he said four kids, divorced, addiction. Some of them spent time behind jail, and he, he saw he ran into her again, to the mother, to the mother. You know the son. So, so how how's that working out for you? you your kids got to go to prom, right? So how, how's that working out? How, how are they doing? Divorce, 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 divorce. Addiction, 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 addiction. Jail time, jail time. A disastrous life, but you got to go to prom parents said it's the stupidest thing. Why, why would people, why would you even think that as a Christian? Why would you even have that desire? And, and, and the mom so pressured the grandkids to doing that that she got what she wanted and the kids are a disaster. Do you want to live with that heartache? Do, do you really want to live with that heartache? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are living with that heartache. But do you want to do that? Why would you want to choose that? Why would you want to be like that? He told me of another family in his church that he, he had cautioned he had cautioned the mother about the son's drinking. And, and, and this mother got so worked up. Don't you dare, you know, tell us about drinking. And she goes on this huge rant about liberty in Christ and this huge rant about, about the church being the legalist and the pastor was just trying to help. Said, I, I, There's a problem here. There's a problem. They left the church because the church was so narrow-minded. You know, because The pastor was just trying to help. About two years later, the son was home drinking, got drunk at home, brought out a shotgun. This is a true story, a true story. And, and he started shooting up the house with his shotgun. Well, the mother, you know, calls the police, right? The police show up. The police show up, and the, and the, the police officer thought, thought that the guy had fired the two shots and a shotgun. He didn't know that the guy had pulled out the plug and had more shots in there. The, the police officer, 33 years old, this is a true story, with kids and a wife got a couple feet away, trying to, to, to push the shotgun out of the way. The guy leveled the gun, shot the police officer right here. Phew. Th- this is a true story. Just about decapitated the police officer. Now, the mother, the mother, the mother, who, who said, well, my children are, you know, they'll make their decisions. They're so smart. You know, I don't want to, you know, there's moderation and the church is legalistic for talking about drinking like that and had all these things that they're against church. okay, so the mother will visit her son in federal prison because it was a police officer that died the rest of his life. So the closest she'll ever get to her son is behind a plate of glass with a telephone. Are you happy for that? I mean, is that, is that what you're trying to raise? Is that, is that your goal? Is that what you want for your children? Is that the, but Pastor, not all kids end up like that. Not all kids do, but usually Christian second generation kids do. Why? Because they know better and there's a spiritual battle. That's why. It doesn't always happen to the unsaved. The Christians always seem to get caught. They, they just do, and it always seems to get worse because they've got the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And, and Paul says here, listen, I'm not going to be selfish even for a moment. I won't, count, I won't count this, my life, dear to myself. Look at that verse. I don't count my life dear to myself. I'm not going to do this so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry and joy. And, and my job is to testify the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ. He says, I, I'm not going to let the fear of the future, the unknown, what, what's up ahead? I don't know, but I'm going. I'm not going to let the present troubles Whatever trouble you have right now is in the present, I'm not going to let these troubles keep me from doing it. And he says the last one, which I think is just the most important, I'm not going to let my selfish desires of what I want get in the way of what Jesus Christ wants. For me, ready, parents? Or for your kids. Can I get an amen? All right. What if? Nothing. Parents, what if God called your child to Africa? I don't know why I always pick on Africa. i would probably be pretty cool to go to Africa, actually. I've been to Africa a couple times. But what if God called your child? No, 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 no. He's got to call the preacher's kids. Because the preacher's kids, they're the ones that got to go. Well, why, why my kids? Oh, why? What's wrong with your kids? I mean, you know, your kids are as good as my kids. Oh, what's the difference? You know, are you okay with that? Would you be prepared for that? Would you prep them for that? Would you pray for that? Would you? No, 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 no. My kids, you know, they're going to live the American dream. Really? Okay okay, but that's the course you're going. Let me know how it works out. <laughs> I don't know. But, but church, let's never let have anything get in the way of us serving, us being open to what God has called us to do. You know, our church has a lot of opportunities to serve. Pastor Dan, why does, why does Dayspring have so many opportunities to serve? I'll tell you exactly why. Because it's my job as the pastor to provide opportunities for you to serve. That's my job. We, on purpose, do things so there's more opportunities to serve. We had a luminary hike a couple weeks ago. Those of you that were part of that, a lot of you, most of you were part of It's the biggest crowd we've ever had at our church. We had 2,000 people, 2,000 people here. And that's something that the more people that show up, the more people get plugged in. We'll just, we'll keep adding to that angel choir all day long. But that's totally fine. The whole hillside is going to have like 100 people in the next year. But the point is is, is, is my job as the pastor and our job as a church is to provide an opportunity for you to serve God. You can serve God wherever you want, but sometimes we need that discipline or that focus to do it. I mean, you can serve God. You can shove your neighbor's driveway. That's great. That's a wonderful thing. But the job of the church, not only is just for us to have community, but to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's not just the pastor's job. It's our job because we are part of this church. And that's just what we do. And that's how it is. So Church, just kind of imagine if you, if you in your life just kind of got those three things out of the way and just said, you know what, I'm going to serve God and, and, and this year, this year, I, I'm not going to be worried about the future. It, God's in charge. Amen, church. And, and I'm not going to be worried. I, I got some problems right now. Money's tight. My car is broken. I don't know. The kids are sick. Something, blah, blah, blah. We got, there's all reasons, but I'm not going to let the present. And I'm definitely not going to be selfish. I, I, it, this is not about me. Father, it's about serving you and whatever you'd have for me or my husband or my wife or my kids or my money. God, I, I, here it is. Just, that, that's how 2020 ought to look, okay? Now listen, on the way out the door today, you're going to get, this is so cool, this is a magnetic calendar uh, that you can stick it on your refrigerator, okay? And it's all the big events of our church. It's the big events of our church. It's not all the events. It's the big events of our church. On the way out the door today, I want you to take one of these magnets and I want you to stick it on your fridge or your locker or, or whatever you got and, and put it somewhere that you can kind of just be looking at. On the top of this is that verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, okay? Pray for laborers. And I want you to be reminded about different big events that are coming up to this church and I want you to have that attitude. God, I just want to serve. Can, can you use me? Can, can, I, can I do something for the cause of Christ on one of these dates? Okay, simple, right? But wouldn't that be effective if you just started to look at that and you said, you know what, I think I can pick a date and I think there's some events that we can make work in our calendar. Before I set vacation time, before I set the trip to Grandma's house, I'm going to look at my, my local church calendar and I'm going I'm to plan my schedule around opportunities that I can serve. And let's see how God works and changes all of our vision and all of our lives in the year 2020 because our hands are like this and not like this. Sound good? All right. Aren't you thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can share the gospel? That's what all these events are about, that Christ loved us so much. He died on the cross, paid our sin debt. God said, you know what? You don't have to work for it. You don't have to pay for it. You just have to believe that when Jesus died, he died and he paid your sin debt. I accept that. I'm a sinner. I can't pay it, God. But I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, and I'm accepting that. I'm trusting in that right now. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share that this week, okay? Let's have a word of prayer and be done today. Father in heaven, we're thankful for our study today. And we're thankful, Lord, that you have given us an opportunity to serve. Father, if you didn't have work for us, you would have just taken us home the moment we got saved because there's no reason for us to be here. There there is no reason for us to be here outside of you. You left us here because you had some stuff for us to do. Help us as a church to see that clearly. Help us to make it a priority in this year, a priority A priority that I'm not going to let the future scare me. I'm not going to let all the excuses I have in the present deter me. And I'm not going to be selfish with my heart. I am not. This is the year, Father, that saved people are going to start serving people in my family and in my life. Thank you for all you've done. Your name we pray. Amen. are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.